to talk about that first lesson for just a moment. At that particular time, the Israelites weren't sure what to do. They had been in, uh, they had been in Babylon, and they had kind of, in some ways, forgotten their roots. Their temple was destroyed, all those sorts of things. And quite honestly, I think they'd gotten a little sloppy about living the way God intended them to live. So Ezra and Nehemiah have a, a bema built. They stand on the bema, and they read the law of Moses. What are they talking about? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And you think you get tired if it's a one-hour mass. Well, they had kind of been lax and gotten a little comfortable with their laxity. And as Ezra and Nehemiah read the law of Moses, the word of the Lord, it began to weigh heavily on their hearts. And they began to cry, to wail, to beat their breast because they knew how they had failed to live up to the high calling of the people of God. Nehemiah and Ezra saw how the people reacted. And they said, okay, that, that's, that's solid reaction. We'll live with that for a little bit. But today is a holy day to the Lord your God. So do not be sad. Do not weep. Go out. Fix rich foods and drink sweet drinks and allot portions to those who have nothing. For today is holy to our Lord. So you see, Preachers have always understood that we have two jobs. To afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. Okay? You have to decide which group you're in. That's not my call. My call is just uh, to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. So I'm giving you heads up that there will be some people who leave this place today feeling a bit afflicted. And I'm not going to apologize that. It comes with the territory. Several years ago on this Right to Life Sunday, the deacon preached, and he got through about two and a half sentences, and a couple that was seated right out in here stood up, made the turn, and walked straight down the aisle. And everybody who was seated understood that uh, they were making a statement. And that's okay. I assume they felt a little afflicted. At a national prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C., 28 years ago, this coming February, 
It happened to be on February the 5th of 1994. Mother Teresa, now she wasn't a saint yet. She was still alive and well. She had been asked to be the keynote preacher, presenter. Mother Teresa stood before President and Mrs. Bill Clinton and Vice President and Mrs. Al Gore, along with uh, 4,000 other friends and relatives of the President and the Vice President in attendance. She had the audacity to call abortion murder. I want you to hear her words. I feel that the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion because it is a war against the child. The direct killing of the innocent child, murder by the mother herself. And if we accept that a mother can kill even her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill one another? How do we persuade a woman not to have an abortion? As always, we must persuade her with love, and we remind ourselves that love means to be willing to give and give until it hurts. Jesus gave his life to love us. Somebody I know and love always makes fun of me when I point to the cross. But folks, that's not just a decoration. That's not just a piece of furniture. That is what God's love through Christ looks like. Jesus gave even his life to love us. So the mother who is thinking of abortion should be helped to love, that is, to give until it hurts, hurts her plans or her free time or the way she thought life was going to unfold and to respect the life of her child. The father of that child, Mother Teresa didn't let him off the hook either, whoever he is must also give until it hurts. In 1973, the Supreme Court of the United States made the decision in Roe versus Wade that made abortion legal, not right, legal in America through all nine months of pregnancy. Justice Harry Blackman wrote these words at this point, in the development of man's knowledge, there is simply no consensus about when life begins. Those words, I think, probably were true in 1973. The child could not be said with any certainty to be alive and therefore wasn't worthy of legal protection. 
that is no longer true in the year 2022. And I want to give you this morning some docu documentation from a doctor, a scientist, that we now know of the growth of the child. Our scientific knowledge has changed and it has expanded. Today, science is on the side of the infant. We have been told a lot these last two years, oh, follow the science, follow the science, follow the science, follow the science. Nestled and safely, I would hope, within the mother's womb at 15 weeks old, children on average are 6.4 inches long and weigh 4.1 pound ounces. They have the proportions of a newborn, seemingly all head and a rounded tummy. That kind of sounds like Mario, but that's for another day. The major organs of that infant are formed and functioning, and although the child receives nutrients and oxygen through the mother's umbilical cord, the fetal digestive urinary and respiratory systems are practicing. They're up and running for the life outside the womb. To the eye of the diagnostic radiologist, the sex of the child is easy to discern at 15 weeks. The baby swallows and even breathes, filling the lungs with amniotic fluid and then expelling it. The heart is fully formed, all four chambers, and it's already working, working hard with the delicate valves opening and closing. And the radiologist can see that. A healthy baby at 15 weeks is an active baby. Unless the child is asleep, kicking, an arm waving are commonly seen during ultrasound evaluations. The fetal spine is a marvel of intricacy and is most often gently curved as the fetus rests against the mother's uterine wall. Often, one can watch as babies plant their feet against that uterine wall and stretch vigorously. Some of you who have been mamas, you know what I'm talking about. And some of you who are papas have been called to over to the chair, the sofa, the bed, and say, honey, feel right, right here, right here. Sometimes with a good eye, the radiologist can see all five fingers and watch as one of those fingers approaches the face and appears to scratch an itch. How can we see anything else when you can look at the bones of the leg and see where it meets the tiny ankles and the many bones at the feet? 
At 15 weeks, the brain's frontal lobes, ventricles, and thal thalamus fill the oval-shaped skull. The baby's profile is endearing in its petite perfection. Gentle sloping nose, distinct upper and lower lips, eyes that are opening and closing. And with the advent of 3D ultrasound, we can now see the fetal face in all of its detail. This is what a diagnostic radiologist encounters day by day in her or his work. Clearly human, clearly alive, no longer mysteriously hidden from the eyes and the knowledge of man. These infants ask us to consider them not disposable non-humans, but rather valuable members of the human family. You know, I was around 1973. Mario had been around longer. Just saying. Arguments were made. Well, it's, it's, it's just a blob of cells. That's all they could see at that time. That's where science was. It's a blob of cells. We don't know. Maybe it's going to be a rhinoceros. Maybe it's going to be a bunny rabbit. Maybe it's going to be a puppy dog. We don't know. It's, it's just a blob of cells. Our understanding is quite different in 2022 than it was in 1973. But in Rowe's own terms, we have arrived at a much different point in the development of human knowledge. Things have changed so much that I even have to change the wording a bit. It was originally written point in the development of man's knowledge. Well, that's not politically correct. It's human knowledge about life in the uterus. The next time the Supreme Court has a judgment about this issue, it should reflect that advancement and put an end to the casual cruelty of unfettered abortion. Friends, life has changed. Science has changed. Where's the wisdom that follows the science? Well, there's all sorts of legal arguments about once something is decided by the Supreme Court, it can never be changed. It, 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 is, it is just written in stone. But they left the door open when they said, it's all we know at this time. So what are you going to do? You're going to follow the law. 
or are you going to follow science? You know, it used to be those of us who held the right to life position were seen by those who were <clears throat> pro-choice. Oh, they are just Neanderthals. You know, they're just, they're knuckle draggers. They just aren't with it. They just don't understand. It's not right, folks. The science is on the side of that baby. So in conclusion, those were the words you were waiting to hear. So in conclusion, let's hear from St. Mother Teresa again, using her closing words at that prayer breakfast for the closing of this homily. If we remember, she says, that God loves us and that we can love others as he loves us, then America can become a sign of peace for the world. From here, a sign of care for the weakest of the weak, the unborn child. It must go out to the world. If you become a burning light of justice and peace in the world, then really you will be true to what the founders of this country stood for. She knew, oh, she knew who she was talking to. And she took them out behind the barn and schooled them on what it means to have justice and peace for all human beings. You will be true to what the founders of this country stood for. Her last three words were, God bless you. And all I have to offer to her words this morning is a hearty, Amen. Oh,